Hey, it's Dan here. If you want to hear this episode of the Backchat Podcast without ads and get extra content that no one else gets, head to backchatstudios.com.au where you can sign up as a patron and access all of our bloody good merch. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. G'day guys, Scoey here. This week's episode of Back Chat, Bonnie Hancock. To say I didn't know what to expect going into this one's a bit of an understatement, but boy was I impressed. What, a, what an incredible story of endurance, of uh, resilience, getting through adversity, the mental and physical challenges. Look, Bonnie was a Nutri-Grain Iron Woman, and then one day she decided to paddle around Australia. Yes, that's right. Not, not paddle from Sydney to Brisbane, uh, not just down one side of the country she wanted to paddle all the way around australia and she did it the fastest anyone has ever done it uh man woman uh kid who dog i don't know what else to tell you it's incredible to 12,700 kilometers uh, she did it in about eight and a half months and some of the stories we learned along the way look it's one of my favorite podcasts we've ever done here at back chat uh, it doesn't matter what sport you love you'll enjoy this chat uh, make sure you tune in. Bonnie Hancock, just an incredible story. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Give us a rating and follow Back Chat on YouTube to watch all of our episodes. Enjoy it. Rightio, very special edition of Back Chat here on the Gold Coast. We're not in the studio. We're not Back Chat Studios. We're on the Gold Coast. We've got the blind shot, the sun setting over land, not the sea. And I'm here with Bonnie Hancock here in the Goldie. How are you, mate? I'm very well. And I must say, I don't want to rub it in, but it's been very nice weather here on the Gold Coast. Well, stop rubbing it in. I mean, we're, we're in Perth. You guys aren't too bad. When I talk to people from Sydney and Melbourne, I'm like, mm, yeah, it's been okay. <laughs> I'm from Geelong originally, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Now, uh, Bonnie, we've got lots to talk about today. Uh, I, I know what you've done as an athlete, right? You've been in Iron Women Series. You've represented your country, actually. You've won state medals. You've uh, competed at almost every high level you can possibly do in that sport. You've paddled around Australia the fastest and as the youngest, the quickest ever by a person in the history of the world. But I'm here to tell you, I don't care just for the first part of this uh, interview. The first question we ask every guest here on Backchat, Bonnie, is your greatest sporting achievement not in your chosen sport. So I don't want to know oh. about your Iron Women heroics. I don't want to know about your paddling around Australia. I want to know something else. Now, I'll give you an example why I think. 
this cricket ball, which has made it over, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. It, made it, it didn't get broken either. Dan took five for 16 <laughs> in a under-12s cricket match. Amazing. Yeah, it Incredible. is amazing. That's, that's that, hard to stand up to. I, I mean, that is an amazing. Pressure. I was state under nine 80-metre hurdle champion. Amazing. I took my talents to footy after that. Oh, do you have look, something out of the water? It's I do. Um, I, we actually played all different sports. So I've got three sisters and growing up we were involved in basketball, touch football, athletics, but – there was this Karamba Mountain in Coffs Harbour, if anyone's from there, and it's like a vertical climb up. So this race we did on a Sunday, Dad drove my sisters and I out there. It was cross-country season, five kilometres uphill, five kilometres back down, and my oh. sister Courtney and I entered into this race. Dad's like, yeah, it's a bit of a mountain climbing race. Literally that thing was probably the hardest race I've ever done in my career out of anything, to be honest. I say career, I was about 12. And (laughs) Courtney and I finished that race probably a couple of hours later, holding hands at the end. We finished together and honestly, she's my best friend, training mate, but just the effort to finish this five kilometres straight uphill, I'll never forget how hard every turn you did, it was like looking to the next turn, it just never ended. And that came to mind, So the Karamba, queen of the mountain, I think they called it. Oh, Sorry, what's your dad doing at this stage? Is he just sitting down the bottom (laughs) waiting for you girls? Yeah, no, actually, (laughs) dad did, I think he did it, but might have done like the 2K race or some cop out of a smaller distance. But yeah, thanks dad for that one. Very good. Um, shout out. Now, we're going to go back to your youth and I want to know about you growing up in sporting, uh, potentially sporting life growing up. Um, I wanted to ask off the top, back chat, powered by Fleet Network, our partners, they're in the car business. Can you remember your first car? Oh, I do. I, it was $2,500. I saved the money that I'd raised for myself in the Iron Woman race, so the Kellogg's Nutrient Iron Woman series. Yes. My sole incentive to get on the podium in my first few years was to get enough money for a car. So I moved up to the Gold Coast at 17 before I had a car, had to scab lifts off everyone. Um, We were living in an athlete house. That wasn't too hard to do. But I remember my first race, I think it was podium. I won a couple of thousand dollars and I went and got this car. I'm just trying to remember. It was a Nissan, something like a Nissan TRX. I had a spoiler Ooh, yeah. on the back. It was so yeah. embarrassing to drive with a spoiler. It sort of took color. a while to start each time. Colour? was a light blue, so not oh, too out there. It's, it's a little bit out there. Though, <sighs> it was like still that. embarrassing with that spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. You started well, Bonnie. I want to get into your, your life really and your journey and – You've had some pretty, uh, you know, from my research, some pretty big moments. But what about back at the beginning? Um, was it a sporting family growing up? Did you yeah. do a lot of that? Yeah, absolutely. So your sisters? In ter- yeah, in terms of parents, even mum surfed. So mum's got the water background. She's from Coffs. Dad's from Hobart in Tassie, obviously. Mm. Um, so he was always a marathon runner, did, did a bit of umpiring in the VFL, so that connection there. But, um, yeah, they just wanted to put us into as many sports as possible. There's four of us girls maybe so we didn't fight as much or, <laughs> I don't know, I'm third in line. So I was kind of like the little sister used to sneak into my older sister's cupboard and steal their clothes and everything. Great. So I was a pest. Um, but from the age of five, I was entered into Nippers at Surf Club at Sawtell. And just loved it. Um, I used to have a little boogie board and watch my older sisters go out on their foamies and mum would have to be like pulling me back as I'm trying to get out there in like five foot surf. And I remember the moment I was given my first foamy board. I think it was a hand-me-down. You never get anything new when you're third in line. Like the yellow and red one? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, the the little foamies there. And it was that battered by the time I got it. 
and just heading out to sea and being like, this is my happy place and just fell in love with it. So I grew up in surf clubs as well. I was telling you uh, off air, Jan Jack was my surf club. What surf club were you a nipper at? Nipper at? Like, where were you nippering? So Sawtell Surf Club. So within, uh, it's about 10 minutes south of, of Coffs. Yep. Um, there's literally like 2,000 people in Sawtell. It's the tiniest little place. Um, what were your colours? Uh, so black and white quarters. Okay. Yep. I think there's another club with exactly the same in Newcastle, which they always confuse when they call it <laughs> carnivals because no one knows Sawtell. Um, but I came through with an awesome bunch of girls, my sisters and a couple of other girls. Um, and, yeah, we went on to race at States and Aussies and sort of, um, yeah, do, do all right at those carnivals considering there was just a group of maybe eight of us in the training squad. It was super small. Because did you all go on? to be competitive fine women yeah i think we i mean that's pretty crazy yeah like all of my sisters um in whether it was a swim i'm on or board one state championships um and australian championships and i think that speaks to having siblings or a training group around you i think a lot of people can relate to that coming from like a country town or a small place where you've mm. got those people around you to push you um and then courtney and i so courtney's 18 months older we went on to be the professional iron woman and we were just obsessed with carla gilwood who's the top iron woman just Don't watch her right yeah yeah, yeah yeah people can relate to that i was like I want to be her. I just want to be her. Yeah. 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 Blonde hair. Yeah, yeah everything. Yeah. Everything about she it. Northcliffe? Is that So no. she was Surfer's Paradise. She so was. she had the gold mm. star on Phil top Clayton's. of the cat. Right, right, yeah, right. yeah. Like Shannon Eckstein, Zane Holmes and Trevor Handy. Trevor Handy, right? <laughs> and when we first moved up, we joined Northcliffe Surf Club. Um, but I remember lining up and Courtney had this rashi that had been signed by Zane Holmes. Zane was standing next to her on the line. I was like, take that thing off now. That's so embarrassing. We like moved up these little sawtell girls that just are obsessed with these iron men and iron women. So you 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 as a 17, 18 year old, you were on the professional circuit, right? I mean that's yeah. pretty crazy. You were the youngest at the time. I was the youngest for a few years. And I think it speaks volumes about having Courtney there. I mean, she was always such a hard trainer. So I just could see that what you needed to do to get there um was it the kellogg's was kellogg's that- nutrient yeah. ironwood series so there it was 18 in the series um i honestly moved up the first year i joined Northcliffe. the trials were in three months so three months after i finished school i remember the first couple of sessions at Northcliffe under pat o'keefe not being able to lift my hands above my head it was a boxing session and wow. um you know i remember going home trying to brush my hair i was like how am I going to get through this? We did three training sessions a day. That was one session down. But as it does, your body conditions. And after three months, I managed to get through that trial. I never expected it. And better yet, I looked on the leaderboard and saw Courtney's name there. So we qualified together that first year. Wow. So you're with your sister basically like side by side. Yep, yep, yep. Like literally racing around within a race. You know, I'd be – she'd usually have pink ribbons or something ahead. It's quite easy to spot. But, yeah, wh- whether I was in front or she was in front, you know, it, it didn't matter. We wanted both of each other to get through. And, yeah, um, but – Yeah. But, but <laughs> you can – look, okay. You can say you can toe the company line, but – you must have had some, yeah, competitive. Definitely I mean, later on. I think in the early years I was happy to be there yeah. and I knew if I was anywhere near her she was absolutely at the top. Um, but, yeah, it, it is tough later on. Like, And, you know, sometimes it, it takes a long time to be able to talk about that. But to have another, you know, sibling in the series, I mean, on any given day probably one of you is going to have a good race and the other one's not. Mm. And that can be really tricky to know what to say to them. You, you know, you want to celebrate. Maybe they haven't had a good race and vice versa. It can be tough. Yeah, I can imagine. So as a young woman with your sister, professional circuit, 
what what's that actually like like what what is that from a financial point of view from a lifestyle point of view are you are you working as well as training like how does it work it's i wish i could sit here and say that to be a professional iron woman you can just do that Mm. and make really good money the truth is for a win it's around three thousand dollars in the nutrient and that's to win a race yeah and how many races are there in a you do six six in a series right there's not 50 races i remember a year that ali day won like five out of six and i was calculating his prize money i was like that is just crazy uh shore and partners financial services have come on board now Essentially, I don't say a rival series, but it sort of is the Summer of Surf. So, Shore and Partners Summer of Surf, you win $20,000 for a win in that. Wow. You know, it's a big difference. And there's lots of different prizes. You can win um, money for being a swimmer or a board paddler or a ski paddler, those individual disciplines, which is really different. It's always been about the iron person. Yeah. Um, as I said, I won a couple of thousand dollars in that first year. I was working. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Nissan with the spoiler. <laughs> I was working three different jobs just to be able to support myself and then backing up for these sessions in the afternoon. I studied dietetics at uni, so, you know, it wasn't an easy degree, but everyone around me was doing the same. There's so men and think- women, right? It's not just the girls. Like in yep. some sports, it's like, well, the girls had a really hard go here. It was a men Bo- too, Both, right? 100%. That's probably unique in that way is that our guys – don't do well either. Probably the best, uh, I guess, financial incentive is through sponsors. If you can manage to get a few, pull a few sponsors. But you know, as we went, the ratings started decreasing. They sort of changed the channel that it was being broadcasted on. The different sponsors moved away. Now it's coming back, which is exciting. But yeah. when Carla and Trevor and all of them were coming through, Guy Leach, like it was, it was huge. They were household names. Well, it was so Victorian, but you know, which isn't as big as here in New South Wales and. Queensland, but like the cooling out of gold, like mm-hmm. that was like a, that was like a yearly. It was like the AFL Grand Final. Yeah. Um, I don't know the Melbourne Cup and right. like the cooling out of gold. People would be like, look at these yeah, it, athletes. It right? made Grant Kenny and Guy Leach household names. Yeah. There was a movie about it. Um, they were everywhere in the media. They made really good money through sponsorship deals too. Somehow or other, the sport just kind of dwindled to the stage where, yeah, we we weren't getting many ratings. No one really knew the top people. Even now, you know, people know Ali Day. Maybe there's a couple of names people know, but not the girls and guys who are sort of winning some of the other races. But I really hope it gets back to that. Have you done a calling out of gold? I've done it. Do you know, I've done it, I think, five times. The final time I did it, I said to myself, if I get on the podium, I'm never doing this ever again. This is my incentive. You get on that podium, never do it ever again. And in the last leg, I was in third and Dad was, was handling what, what was for it, what me. Was the, what was the last leg? So the last leg's the run. Right. So it's a 23K yeah. ski, um, a 2K run, a 3.5K swim, a 5K board, and then a 10K run on soft sand. It's horrific. Honestly. It's horrific. Running along and Dad was handling. He said, all right. Hayley Badup's 200 metres behind. This is 1K from the finish. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I look behind. I could see someone bleached hair and I'm running. I grit my teeth. I get to the line in third and I look behind. It's an under-19 boy with bleached hair. <laughs> Hayley was five minutes behind. So I didn't even get to enjoy that moment of being on the podium. That, did you say your dad told you that? Dad told me that. So thanks, Dad. So you did that so you didn't <laughs> – 
makes me run the Karamba Mountain and then tells me and takes away my moment of glory. It's, it sounds like Dad was a big driver of what you girls are doing. 100%. I think he always found that awesome balance in not pushing but being there to support. And honestly, with my mum, five girls in the household, no boys. This, I don't know how he did it. That is crazy, Dad. You got 100 metres. You're five minutes in Literally. Front. And another time when Courtney went to hop on a ski and he was handling, he held the paddle backwards. So it was in an Australian age five. And she jumps. So with the paddle, you basically you have a handler who holds your ski and paddle. You're running and you hop in the ski. Yep. He had her paddle back to front. So when she got in, she had to turn the paddle back around and wait deliberately. No, no. Just, I, gonna- I think he didn't have his glasses on and couldn't see. So this is what I'm saying. He accidentally. So it took ten seconds for her to, and the girl went past her and she got second. So wow. <laughs> poor Richo's. Yeah, had a couple so of moments. Do you look back on your time as a professional arm woman? Uh, with how do you look back on it? Reflecting now, I'm so grateful for that time in my life because yeah. I learnt so much. I came from sheltered Sawtell. Little girl who just, you know, had no idea, moved up here at 17. Everyone was taking me out to the casino on the surface paradise, stripped there like the beer garden with like my fake ID. And, you know, it was just from the moment I came up here, I was just absorbing everything from the people around me in the best way possible. Um, and, you know, my nine years as an iron woman, I learned so much about, I know words like resilience are sort of thrown around a fair bit, but how, being able to bounce back from setbacks when you, you know, the whole race comes through on a wave behind you and, you know, how do you deal with that? Just, um, yeah, it's taught me a lot for, I guess, what I call this next stage of my life now, post a bit of a paddle around Australia. Do you, do you remember your name of your fake ID? Georgia Hancock, so it was my older sister, and she was a Libra star sign. But I got to the casino and they've gone, What's your star sign? And I freaked out and they didn't let me in. That was oh, one time. So, you with the star yeah, sign. Yeah, it was the older sisters that, yeah. And yeah. then when you get older, you realize the security guard didn't actually care. He already yeah. knew you were under 100%. Age. I did not look 18. I looked about 12, to be honest. <laughs> That's but, hilarious. Anyway. So, all right. So, you know, that, that's a big part of your life, though, mm. that, that, you know, professional circuit. Mm. At what point do you decide? Right, I'm gonna I'm gonna paddle around Australia. I feel like that's a feel like it's a pretty big leap. Oh, it is. Well, to be honest, when I was 25, I sort of had this moment where I'd had a lot of near misses, like near where, as I said, only one person's on top of that dais, right? Like, yeah. you know, even coming second, it's like everyone remembers the name of the winner. I'd had so many near misses at wins and fourths and seconds. And I just went through this stage of where I started overtraining. So I started sneaking in extra sessions around a club sessions. I started what I now know is under fueling as an athlete. So not eating enough, trying to get my body composition down. I got really sick. I got glandular fever. I was actually forced out of the sport for two years. Wow. So two years, I basically, it, all I'd ever known was being an athlete or what I now know is all my self-worth was in being an athlete. I'm sure a lot of us can relate to that. Um, so it took two years to actually find out who I was outside of an Iron Woman. I was like, who, who am I? What am I else am I good at? What else do I even like doing? Huh. And all of my conversations that were around training and sport, all my friends were in sport. I had no network here other than the surf club. Uni I'd sort of, you know, ducked in and out of and was like parking loading zones, doing like a lecture and <laughs> fleeing, like that kind of thing. I never kind of socialised with my uni friends as much. 
So when I started doing that and I was forced to find out who I was, I found all of these other amazing interests. Like I started going to like live music shows, live comedy. I started hanging out with my uni friends. I started learning all these other, you know, interests that I had. It's the best thing that ever could have happened. And then when I came back, I, I think I did about six months of Iron Woman racing and actually had the biggest result of my career. Um, Sally Fitzgibbons put on an exhibition race at Cronulla and I went and won that in a, in a full field of Iron Woman from the Nutrigrain. And I realised after that that, you know, even if I put my foot on that line and came last, I didn't care because I was so happy with who I was finally after all that time. But I wanted a new challenge and I was like, this surf ski thing, I've, it's always been a weakness. So in an Iron Woman you have a run leg, a swim leg, a board leg and a ski leg. Yeah. I'd always been quite slight growing up so I wasn't strong in my upper body and I wanted to – take on that challenge everyone told me I was crazy because I'm a woman was what I'd you know always sort of been good at and in the first year I absolutely applied myself to it I managed to win state and I came third at the Australian titles better results than I'd ever had in the Iron Woman so after I started the ski I planned to travel around the world doing ocean ski racing which is sort of like an offshoot of surf life saving it's a nine kilo ski as opposed to 18 kilo right. so built for down wind like in the middle of the ocean I discovered that as so fun. Right. Um, and then COVID hit. COVID huh. hit and threw everyone's plans out the window, right? Huh. So I'd planned to go to France, America. So after six months of lockdowns and I know people in Melbourne suffered a lot more, I picked up a book and it was from my local Broadbeach library. I love going to library. I'm so old school. I love newspapers and I love books. How good. <laughs> and I picked up a book about Winks. I picked up a book about Late Shame Warn and on the bottom of that pile was a book called Fearless. And it was about Freya Hofmeister, the German woman who paddled around Australia in 2009. And from a chapter in, I was like, I have to do that. It was just like a feeling like I have to do that. And there were so many reasons not to do it. There are stories of crocodiles and sharks chasing her. I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and do that. Can I pause there and say, you know how you have the break, you're overtraining, you find yourself, and I, I know that's not the right word, but you, you discover like who you are. Mm. Do you think when you come back and the happiness factor, like do you think that has a big part to your performance? 100%. Like I'm a happy athlete is a good athlete Yeah. because you take the pressure off yourself. So, you know, we create that narrative in my head like it was always like, oh, I'm, I'm not good enough almost to, to get that win. Like when, when you're worth, you put so much pressure on that. And even seconds, you know, coming out of that, that result, I'd get so low during my career and no one ever saw that, like that would be in private, you know. So it was like I honestly wouldn't have cared where I came that day and it was super ironic because that was the day I won. <laughs> so I, and I literally after it was a feeling like, yeah, I'm absolutely stoked but I'm just as stoked for tomorrow I'll, I'll get to hang out with my friends or yeah. – or go traveling or whatever it may be. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. That, that's the actual dynamic. You get so stuck in that circle um, that, yeah, personal circle of, yeah, like this defines me and if I go well, oh, I'm good and if I don't go well, I'm bad. Yeah. And you, you can't see out of the circle sometimes. I think it can be really limiting mm. because when you're in that moment of the last leg and you're leading and a big like three to four foot waves coming at you and you've got to think clearly and – choose whether you're going to go left or right. Like there's so much decision-making in surf or go for the rip or catch that wave. I think I used to make so many silly mistakes because yeah. my mind was already racing ahead to, oh, I'm if, in front here. What, what, what happens if this happens? Or exactly. Mm. 
So that was gone. I was actually able to think clearly and it How was good. huge. So, so it was fun. Unreal. Yeah. So, okay. So you picked some books up from the library down there nerding out, um, mm. <laughs> sifting through books. I've always been a massive nerd. It's yeah. like I have like split personality, good. like athlete and then nerd. I'm the same. Yeah. Um, mine gets pushed towards gaming at stages and I just ran out of time to do that. I've pretty much had to put the PlayStation on hold, but yeah. that was my nerding out. Yeah. So you're doing that, you're reading books and you find this book – uh, can you say her name again? Fearless by yeah. um, Freya Hofmeister. Yeah. She's a, she was German and um, she was a paddler and, yeah, she similar sort of thing. She was a successful businesswoman so she had to pretty much invest her life savings in doing because that's the other part. It was going to be $200,000 to do the paddle. So were, I wrote a list of the why and why nots and the why nots was huge and there was like a couple of whys. Well, what was the whys? So the why was to do this for myself. It, w- it was a challenge to put myself outside the comfort zone. And again, I know that can be overused, but that's where I think you learn about yourself. This was so far outside my comfort zone. I didn't know a single thing about catamarans, which I had to find a support boat. I didn't know anything about the Australian coastline, maybe New South Wales and Queensland. Crocodiles, sharks, like I can't think of anything that was going to test me more. And I think I'd settled into this comfortable sort of thing in my life or I guess we all had that through COVID. It was like the same, like Groundhog Day, like same every day, like your hour of exercise outside. Like, you know, I was still working as a dietitian in clinic, but it was just like I was stuck in a bit of a rut and it was like I was meant to pick that book up. And I remember seeing on the cover she was holding blades that were crossed over and I just remember that's what appealed to me was that cover and picking it up and I just truly – think I was meant to pick that book up and it broke me out of this rut and even now it's like my mind thinks in such a different way when I got back I started I picked up a globe and started looking at the globe and that's kind of settled down yeah I know just it was like I think Matt with my I husband was say, your partner would have been like just calm down put the globe please, down <laughs> back on the desk yeah literally <laughs> so I know I know so so it sounds like not that it's a split second decision but it sounds like you pretty much you know made your mind up and given that you come through sport and been a competitor I can relate to that, that you're like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. Mm. So that's fine if you want to do it. But, like, mm. the actual logistics of it must be incredible. You said the, the cost, but yeah. the actual, you know, planning, you can't just, like, yeah. you can't just paddle around the country. Like You will literally die because correct. there's, like, as like crocodiles inhabit a third of our coastline. So from Broome in Western Australia, from Broome, I tell people from Broome to Townsville in, in Queensland is, is where you'll find crocodiles. So awesome. a third of our coastline. So – and I could fathom getting in the water with sharks. We've seen sharks out here, a bit further out, but I've seen lots of sharks in the ocean. I've spent many, many hours in the ocean, but I could not fathom getting into the water with a prehistoric beast that survived thousands of years because it's literally at the top of the food chain. Like there is nothing above it, right? Like nothing above it. Um but I knew to get this paddle done, there was no other way. You, you've got to paddle every single metre of coastline to do it. So I started researching and I started talking to skippers and fishermen and meteorologists. And I always say I wasn't afraid to ask the silly questions. I had to start from this baseline of zero when it came to knowledge about all of that. I'd, I'd never, you know, really fished properly or been on boats Um so that was a huge growth area for me was actually putting my hand up and saying, I need help in these areas. Another big factor was the cost. Yeah. And I would have got 50 rejections before I got the yes. So I was lucky enough that Shore and Partners came on board. They got a huge interest in ocean ski paddling and, as I said, surf life saving. 
and I had to pitch to them like three times. I'm like shaking under the table, like pitching this idea. Like this is literally my only option because it was through COVID. Like I've heard every single excuse from sponsors as to why they won't come on board. Um, And I remember looking at Matt and I was like – going to paddle around Australia and I just got this blank stare back like it wasn't even like there was just like no emotion in his face and I don't know what was going through his mind at that stage but I was like we might talk about this in a week or so and then a week later I came back he's like you're not going to forget about this are you I'm like no we'd been married a year so that was a lovely little wedding present. But he wow. wasn't with me for the eight months. So he was actually on land driving the car. So we had to tow a jet ski as a backup really. And thank goodness because um, in WA our support boat had to go back to Queensland for this contract on the reef. They could only stay with us a certain amount of time. So our jet ski came in up the west coast until we found another catamaran. But Matt was on land for eight months and we would go a week or days without talking because there was no reception because so much of it is remote. Yeah. So, okay, let's get into the like actual doing. But when when you start out on this, like when you're you're still like – it's still a concept and not doing do you want to be the fastest or you just want to do it always yeah I honestly like what I found was I took so much more out of it than the world record like that that in the end that just paled in significance to the other learnings so just doing it you you just wanted to complete it but at the start I was so driven by the record so I selfishly (laughs) wanted to break a world record and I think that I'm a completely different person now, even to who I was, even though through those years as an iron woman, I'd found my worth in other areas. I was still driven by those external factors to get that world record. Mm. So to start with, I raced down the coast to Victoria. I was a couple of weeks ahead of the record. I was like fanging it, like on the first day I paddled 73. By a weekend, I was doing 120K, like, you know, laying on the back deck, sprawled out at the end of each day in agony. But by the time I reached South Australia and looked around and saw these beautiful islands, I was like, I need to take a minute and slow down here or this whole thing is going to pass me without me even seeing this amazing coastline. What was the record before you started? Ten and a half months. It was ten and a half months. Um, Four people had done it prior. They'd all gone anti-clockwise. And the research I did, I spoke to one of the top meteorologists who advises the super yacht captains and Olympians. He said, go clockwise. And he said, when you go in December, you're going to be down the bottom when it's warmest, obviously, because it's freezing down there. And it was single digits in the water and out of the water when we went, as it was. But he said the East Australian current, which pushes the warm water from Great Barrier Reef to Tassie, literally what the turtles in Finding Nemo got in, like that helped me. I, I took – we were 20K out to sea and I, that pushed me down the coast. So the currents run this way. But he said the problem is always going to be when you get to Queensland, the sour silly trade winds rip back around. And that was where we ran into trouble. But the whole way around I got tailwinds and then flat conditions and I didn't run into headwinds until the top. Do you remember day one? Do you remember what it felt like putting your paddle in for the first paddle? I do. And I'd been given three skis for the paddle and I had the seven sunrise interview and I was so distracted by all the media, I didn't check my foot length. So the key thing as an athlete is like check your own equipment. That's what we always get told, check your own equipment. I didn't. So I pick my ski up. There's like hundreds of people on the beach. I walk down to the water. I get in and my foot length is like way too long and I can barely touch the pedals. So it means you're, like, you're Literally. too stretched out. So stretched out. And as everyone knows, when you can't touch the pedals, you have like no balance. So everyone's filming, like we're filming for the doco. 
and I'm trying to touch these pedals and I'm just paddling like an old woman like out the back and when I got out the back I yelled to my boat I was like can someone help me with the with the foot pedals like it was so bad and I forgot to put my water in and food in I had nothing (laughs) (laughs) just like just just me just going off for a ride yeah yeah yeah, for a trip around Australia like so me like jump first thing later that's that's me all over wow okay so all right so you've spoken a little bit about the route you're taking when does it when does it start to get hard like when do you recall thinking um this is hard either mental or physically before the paddle i picked my phone up and i turned maps to satellite mode and i studied that coastline obsessively and I knew that once you get to Victoria, things change. Down the New South Wales coast, there's marinas every 50, 100K, like it's civilised. Once you get to Victoria, like the white sandy beaches turn into jagged cliff faces. Mm. And I remember the backwash being so strong off the cliffs, I'd almost sort of fall off my ski. That's when the sharks started coming into because the water temperature drops too. So I the first time I was out of my comfort zone was Victoria. And initially when I was planning this trip, I thought, I'll just go to Sydney. Like, that's awesome. In the end, I was like, Sydney, it's too expensive to go right around. You know, I'll raise some money. And I thought, you won't. When By the time you get to Sydney, you won't even have started to put, you know, push yourself. And sure enough, I got to Sydney and it was amazing, but I had so much more to give. Um, Clearly. Well, Sorry, thankfully I did, but I, it was just a feeling like Sydney was, you know, 1,200-odd kilometres and I was like, yeah, I know I know that would be really, really difficult to do and, and, you know, amazing, but I knew I had to go further. I wouldn't be doing myself justice. But Victoria was when it changes because you go a couple of days without, you know, really reception. You go a couple of days without seeing another boat out there in some sections. It's freezing. Like it dropped to 10 degrees in the water, single digits. I was doing a lot of night paddling too. I was going to say, are you yeah. coming in and like sleeping? Or so like, or the catamaran's like a mini house. So right. that's anchoring at bays and islands and, um, you know, in the marinas when they're there. But that's when we went from having a marina every single day to the skipper having to go, we've got to anchor in this bay tonight. And it also changed. I had such a fixed mindset at the start of this as an iron woman being like, I know exactly what my race is. I know exactly what my training is. <laughs> Go around the yellow boys. Literally. Free one. You do the right pre-race meeting. Through the flags, <laughs> do the briefing with the official. You've got water safety out there. This is like, so when you stand on a beach, it's 40 kilometres to the horizon you can see. I was 100K out to see most days. So 100K? 100K out to see. So this is the other thing I need to remind myself to tell people is that because the map of Australia, because Australian coastline is so like it's not like a perfect circle. The further you go out to some de- to a certain degree, the more distance you cut off. So I did the less distances in this time, but I went the furthest out to sea. So I went that far out to sea to cut distance off. So when I got to the Great Australian Bight down the bottom, the big chunk, yeah, I was the first person to cut across that. Put me five hundred k out to sea. Wow. Yeah, which was terrifying. But I was paddling at night to get the Ks done because I was paddling for 14 hours a day or sometimes 16 hours a day. With rest days? I would have a rest day around every two weeks or so. But it, 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 took, it took two months for my body to condition to that load. At the start, it was more like 100, 120, keeping within that 12 hours, say only within that 12. But once I got past that, I did a lot of night paddling. And, and up north in the Northern Territory, 
the currents are six hours on and six hours off. Right. So I would get in the water and paddle for six hours and then get on the boat because when it's against you, you go 2K an hour. And when it's with you, you go up to 18K an hour with it. So paddling against it is just so silly up there. So it was all dictated by the weather. And that's an era of growth I had because it could change throughout the day. The skipper would say, we're doing 90K today. And then he'd say, the way the wind's coming in this bay isn't safe. We've got to do another 27. And I'd get told that halfway through the day. So I had to learn to be flexible. At the start of that was really hard. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. How are you stopping? Oh, actually, you've got double. No, keep going. Yeah. So you said down the bottom, the shark's staying at it. Is that close calls? Is that a stupid question? Yeah, that... yeah, no, not a stupid question. Um, so the crew was seeing them from the catamaran in the water around me. Perfect. And I don't want to tell people this, but the scariest thing about sharks, they only show themselves you when they want you to see them, really. When they're eating you. Exactly, pretty much. So I sort of had this like tunnel vision, like didn't want to look like that far out to see. It took me so long to get used to paddling that far out. And I'd freak out like when my catamaran went a bit further away and also there were bait balls in the middle of the ocean and those sorts of things what, like what? scary oh. yes yeah so like big like groups of fish and right. like where you'd see the splashing right. and the birds around in the middle of and just going i am taking a detour around that because wow. you know they attract bigger fish which attract sharks but um the crew were mainly seeing like hammerheads and and sort of bull sharks and then Yes, when we got to WA. Good old Western Australia. Yeah, Western Australia, <laughs> near Shark Bay, of course. Um, it was the end of an 80K day and I was paddling along and I had my headphones in. That saved me too. The music was such, such an epic thing. It saved me. It almost felt like having company because I couldn't really hold proper conversations with my crew a lot of the time. So the, the headphones, waterproof headphones were amazing. But it was the end of an 80K day. I had the music in. I was just tunnel vision. There was always someone on Bonnie watch. So always someone watching me at any time of the day. My crewmate Jamie all of a sudden started gesturing like really quite like frantically. And all day there'd be different things like come into the boat. We've got a plan change. Come into the boat. You need food or water. So I didn't sort of put together that it might be bad. And then he stood up straighter and I thought I better come in. And I head into the boat. He said, get on. Okay, I better get on. And he told me later that afternoon he saw a great white come up next to me, the jagged edges of the fin come up and take a deep dive under my ski. And I've just got the headphones in like bopping along. And thankfully it didn't get me, but he said that moment was was terrifying. For him, you were fine. You were fine. Like, like, Taylor to Swift Spice or something. That's what I say to people. Like, probably, literally, I went through like a, a Taylor Swift phase, and I'm like, I'm not gonna lie, I think it was around that time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, that's, I mean, yeah, so I'm trying to put yourself in your position. I mean, you're like, you're an athlete, so you're, you're not. Mm. You're not thinking about at stages, I'm assuming, what's and underneath me. Exactly. You are in so much physical pain. Like I say to people, like think of like the hardest workout you've ever done where you can barely lift your hands. Like my technique changed from like rotation, hands up high to like can barely get my hands above my belly button, like lactic acid, like fatigue, soreness. Like so you're kind of distracted by that, that you do start to forget where you are and that was a real snap back to reality and the waters that I was paddling in. What surprised you the most? How beautiful WA was honestly I'm not just saying that because you're from there um Ningaloo Reef I wasn't expecting the beauty of that place like 
the clear water and like seeing down to the bottom. I saw 27 turtles in one day. That was insane. Um, Who's counting? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally, <laughs> I, I all paddle. I wanted to do this one day of paddling on my own. I was like, I'm sick of having a support, but I just want one day where I can appreciate. Anyway, I went out there and it was so scary. And I was like, after the day, I was like, okay, come back now. I want my friends around me. But in this certain day, I was just paddling and just taking everything in. And there was dolphins and turtles and it was amazing. But I was also surprised at how the body physically adapts. I was surprised at how at the start I would be laying on the back deck in agony after 70K and by 2Ks in I was able to do 160. I worked up the maximum I did on the paddle was 213K in 24 hours. Which is a world record. The world record I did two weeks later. So I did 213K down in North Queensland and then I found out the men's record was 228K when I got back. So then I looked at Matt again. I said, I've got another idea. He's like, oh, no. <laughs> and I said, I need you to help. I need a catamaran at Airly Beach. I need to get up where the wind is. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com and try and go for this record and I managed 234k in 24 hours but I tore my bicep doing it and it was so ugly and the photos from it are just horrific like the grinning the teeth and just the bicep I'm like limping onto the boat but worth it I was gonna like the injuries is another thing like you're out there for eight and a half months yeah I learned that your muscles can condition, but your joints can't. So the biggest thing that threatened to derail the trip other than the COVID exemption, which we got into WA, um, oh, was thank actually... Thank you, Miss McGowan. Thank goodness. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> Bonnie's out in the water. We don't know what could be happening. We, she could be bringing anything with her right, like, or nothing. Right. We started looking into <laughs> staying in international waters to cross. That's where it was at. So we got told wow. you, you can't cross and then it changed. They were letting people in and then they cut it again and said no yeah. one's, as you know, no one's allowed in. We got an exemption and our quarantine counted the time we spent in the Great Australian Bite. But once we got to shore, we had to spend another three days on the boat. When I got to, to shore in Esperance on the other side, I could barely walk. I had to go to hospital. So I had a police convoy follow me to the hospital and I had to go into complete isolation, like everyone in the full suit. Hazmat. Yeah, and I'm like, I don't know if I think what I've been doing out from the – Yeah, literally in the middle of the ocean. So they took us seriously. But um, the other thing that threatened to derail was my fingers – at the end of the day, were literally locked in that position. Like I couldn't open fridge doors or water bottles. I had to get my crew to do everything for me. I couldn't brush my hair. Would they like loosen up? Or they something? only hot water slightly brought it down, but they were just, I remember wincing in pain and they took like two months when I got back to, like I feel like that's like a party trick now because I can do that. Like I couldn't move them. 
It wow. took two months and I had a bolting disc for the last two months of the paddle too, which didn't help. Didn't sound like that was going to stop you though. Uh, when you were when you were paddling by yourself, you said you had a day by yourself. Didn't you get take, didn't you get knocked off by a wave? Look, I wasn't going to mention this, but I just yes, noticed you skipped that part I, of the story. I did skip this part, and I thought in that moment, I thought, should I go there? Okay, we're going there. Um, <laughs> all right. So on the day on my own, it was near Ningle. Actually, it was near um, what's it, Quabba Station. Yep. So King Waves Kill, like the. Signs literally say it. People have died out there from these rogue waves. Um, so Western Australia, beautiful stretch of coast, dangerous stretch of coast, red dirt, um, you know, on the, meets the sea. And I was paddling along and I'd been told stay inside the reef. Stay inside the reef. It is so dangerous. It can make waves can pop out out of nowhere. Um, I had 80K to do. I was about 53K in and I... I must have lost focus for a moment, probably Taylor Swift. I'm going to blame it on that. And I started getting drifted out to sea, but I didn't sort of realise. I literally remember the ocean being flat and then all of a sudden looking and that scene off Castaway with Tom Hanks where he's like up in the raft, like it felt like this vertical wave. Really? Like it was huge. It was maybe like five foot, like it was massive. It was about five foot. And I've just launched over the top and landed it. I've realised I'm out in the reef. This is the outer reef. And then I saw the one behind it. Massive. And, like, I've been in a lot of big surf in my life. These waves were heavy as. Z said five foot plus. Went up and this time I didn't clear it. And it took my ski. Um, I didn't have a leg leash in because it wasn't windy. It was calm and sure. Took my ski, my visor, my sunnies, my water, my uh, radio to communicate, uh, my food, everything gone in that moment. Just me floating in the middle of Ningaloo, uh, Ningaloo Reef at Quabba Station um, with nothing around. And you just no happened to be by yourself? Was on it, my own. Was the only day by yourself? The only day on my own, yes. I wonder why. Yes, I know, I know. The only day I wasn't allowed to go on my own after that. And wow. I had a 500-metre swim to my ski. I had to – the paddle was a couple of hundred metres in, the ski was that way. I had to go for the ski first because I thought that's the priority. Swimming to this ski across the reef, I remember thinking, if something's going to take me now, it will. And there were just turtles and fish everywhere and I remember looking at my feet like, this is it. And I got to that ski eventually, heart racing and just hung over it and then I realised my paddle was 200 metres the other way. So by the time I got to the boys on the other side – I was dehydrated, I was starving, hungry and sunburnt and I thought, I need my friends back tomorrow. I can't do it on my own. Did you, did you tell them or not? I did. I told them straight <laughs> well, away. I thought maybe well, just like, knew- oh, I had a great paddle, guys. It was great. It's yeah, it was just had, me had the best with one. wet hair, no – I wore these Oakleys the whole time, vis, I had no radio. They're like, where is everything? And I'm like – about that. <laughs> I mean, you laugh now, but it must have been I know. Been it would have been a great, you know, clip for the doco, but obviously no one was there to film is it, it. Is it the only um, time you came off? Is that, is no, that heaps of times. Yeah. I mean, in a day I'd come off three to five times. Like by the end of the – I guess that feeling like when you're playing footy or running a race or swimming where you're feeling like by the end so jelly, it was like that but then having to balance on this mm. ski – and the skis, are, they're like toothpicks. Like in the huge winds, they're nine kilos. They just go where the wind's going. So I would fall off in the freezing water and get back on. And there were times where I could barely get back into my ski and I almost got hypothermic a couple of times. 
Did you meet people along the way? Like, are you like by yourself the entire time, just with your crew, or are you meeting people? We met so many people. Mm. Um, when the first catamaran went back in WA, that's when this whole new adventure started. Like, we met these local gold prospectors who escorted us, escorted us with their fishing boat um, from Exmouth to Broome. So they were escorting us in, you know, around the crocodiles. Um, one of them. Uh, knew a lot about the indigenous carvings. They were teaching us about that. Like it was the coolest experience ever. And then we linked in with a family called the Cruising Kiwis. So they literally sail the world. They got the two um, teenage boys on the boat. Their dad, Rob, had won the first Atlantic row across the middle of the ocean. So he was literally an adventurer. You just just bumped into him. He just bumped into him. (laughs) Like it was crazy. We did a social media campaign to find a boat and they were the people who contacted. So he was giving me tips about paddling in the middle of the ocean and all sorts of things. I wore his old Harvard rowing suit. Like it was just the coolest thing. We just linked up with all of these amazing people that I never would have met. Now they're lifelong friends. Yeah, did you think that, like I asked you what was the most, if there was anything surprising, like, and you spoke about the beauty of the coastline, but I can't imagine like heading out, you'd be like, I can't wait to meet all these amazing people along the way. Like, was that was that something that you didn't expect? There's something that happened, I guess, the strength of community. I saw um, Preston Beach, which you know in WA as yeah. well. So, um it was a day where, again, quite an isolated stretch of coastline really. Like in Preston Beach itself, you've got a little community. But we were told that day that the jet ski had 80K in it, right? So we started from Eagle Bay, 80K in the jet ski. We mapped it out so it was a bit under 80K. We carried the jerry can of fuel. Well, at 73K, the jet ski ran out of fuel. So the sun's setting and I'm, I've am i got, again, got the headphones in. I'm like, how good's the sunset? Like yelling back to the boys on the jet ski. They're just looking extremely worried. I'm like, what are the, what's going on? Meanwhile, they're, they're like running on fumes. Like the jet, we're a couple of K out to sea and this isolated stretch, it's about to be dark. Um, they just managed to get the call away to Matt on the beach who was 8K away where we were supposed to be. That's like proper shark territory. I know you know that. But literally that's like, great white shark territory. Couldn't be more sharks. Though. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't, couldn't be a sharkier spot in Australia, in the world. <laughs> yeah, really. no, probably in the world. And coming in and I looked behind and then they told me and they said, we're, we're out. We're literally running on the last fumes. And I thought I was going to have to paddle in the dark and just find someone. Yeah. Thankfully, the wind was coming. It was onshore. We're floating towards shore. It would have taken, I don't even know how long to get in, so long, completely pitch black, no moon in the sky. We hit the sand. I remember the jet ski falling on us desperately, like, oh, my gosh, my shoulder, trying to push the jet ski up. My ski's gone flying. And then I remember looking up and seeing the silhouettes of 20 people on this beach, and I thought I was literally seeing things. And in the time we'd managed to call Matt, he'd got out to the Preston Beach community on Facebook and asked for help. Pretty much the whole community had shown up to help. I soon had a towel around me. I had someone was massaging my shoulders who was a <laughs> massage therapist. They had food there and hot drinks and they took us in for a week while we made our way up the coast. Wow. But just that strength of community, I think that surprised me too. You're like, where are you guys? Can you guys just follow me around for the next eight months? Literally, like, oh my best thing ever. Like it was funny when we first landed, actually, the guy who was first there, him and his wife was setting like a, a fire on the beach which i don't even think you're allowed to do they're completely drunk and they're trying to like help us push the jet ski up and then he's like stumbling in the water so thank goodness the other people came so you said when you left uh your biggest fear maybe was was crocodiles um any no i, I know. How, how did you go with them sometimes like, did I you just, learn to love them or oh no 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 no, right, no. Right. I, I actually you know what though 
I respect them because they left me alone. So we, I feel like we have a mutual respect. I absolutely feel they don't respect me at all. But <laughs> I would love to go to that Crocosaurus Park and jump in the lake. It's like a clear kind of um, cage thing in the water where you see them right up close. I would love to do that because I have such an appreciation for them as an animal and as a, an absolute predator that they are. Um, the scariest moment of the whole trip was in the Kimberley in the Northern Territory. I think it was, I'm trying to think how far I'd done that day, almost 100K. And there's eddies up there. So off of the islands, there's these circular whirlpools that work. I never believed in it before. It kind of makes me believe in the Bermuda Triangle. These literally currents that work their way around and around in the middle of the ocean. The catamaran got stuck in an eddy. So this catamaran is doing these circles like, I don't know, 50 metres in diameter around right. and around in the ocean. Wow. It's dark by now. So it was in this six hours at night time. And at this stage, the people on Bonnie Watch had the torches out to the side looking for the crocs, which awesome. is terrifying in itself. I've got like Eminem blasting in my ears because it's not time for Taylor Swift. Lose yourself. There. It's literally probably, <laughs> dude, hey, dude, that dude, or dude. Stormzy, either one of them. They Stormzy, got me yes. Stormzy the best. Going around, so they're like, jump in and follow us. So I'm 100K in doing circles in the middle of the ocean and I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm, what are we doing? They said, we can't break the current, but don't go anywhere. All of a sudden, about five minutes later, they yelled out, stay close. So I was like, okay, I don't know what that means. Again, if it might be the current, I, I stayed super close. They broke the current. I paddled for another 20 minutes. After 20 minutes, they gestured onto the boat and said, again, hop on the boat. And they told me one week later, because I was only halfway through the Kimberley, I still had a week of paddling in the most crocodile infested place, that when I was going around and around in circle, they'd shone the torch out to the side and seen a large crocodile off to the side looking at me. And 20 minutes later when they were searching, they saw it again and it was following. And that's when they got me on the boat. Been cruising behind you. Cruising behind and three times they saw crocodiles around me. So just that feeling of how close it was 10 metres away watching, I feel incredibly lucky to get. And people always say, would you do this again? I wouldn't because it was like running the gauntlet and you finish and you feel so thankful just to be safe. Right. Yeah, it was incredibly scary. Um, what was the mental toll on you, um, you know, physically – I think it's quite obvious that it would be physically quite hard. Yeah. But no one's sitting around going, geez, I want to go for a paddle around yeah. Australia. Yeah. And, and I think it's like more evident to understand that. But what was the mental toll on you? I could imagine being by yourself with Taylor Swift in years, oh. plus, plus trying to get through Crocs and, and the rest. That probably showed where I was at yeah. um, mentally. Um, definitely. Um, once my body, it was really fascinating because initially the physical toll was greater. Mm. Once I conditioned to load, it was the mental toll. Mm. So the novelty had worn off. It was two months in. I hadn't seen my family or my friends. Matt was on land. We were, you know, disconnected for weeks. That's when the loneliness really hit me. Um, it took those couple of months to actually tell my crew how I was feeling because I didn't, they were there for eight months volunteering. I didn't want to detract from their experiences. And I remember telling one of the crewmates, it was, I think at the end of a day, I'd had a really shocking day where I just felt really low all day. And at the end of the day, the crew were getting off the boat and visiting islands and different things. And I would try and be an athlete and put the compression boots on and do all the right thing and have my protein shake. And I was like, I'm battling around Australia. I'm not even seeing the best parts of it. 
And I said to him, I'm feeling really low. And he said, take the opportunities when they're there. He's like, I know you've got to be an athlete, but you're going to paddle this whole thing without ever seeing the most amazing parts. And so I did. The very next day we were paddling and there were caves, you know, this island in the middle of the ocean. And I made the choice to take a detour, even though it was a couple of k's out of the way, and go and explore these caves. Best experience ever, one of the best days of the trip. And I changed my mindset that even if I went a couple of weeks slower, I was actually going to take the time to see some of these amazing parts. So as soon as I did that and got the balance, that's what really helped me. But there were days when you're on your own 13, 14, 24 hours a day in the water paddling because I did a couple of 24-hour stints. It's incredibly isolating and that was one of the hardest parts to be honest, other than the fear, the constant fear that's driving you from not knowing. I remember thinking and watching before I went in, I tried to desensitize myself to crocs and sharks and I watched videos over and over again to try and get the image if a big shark came up next to me so I wouldn't freak out or freeze. And I remember watching that, but the whole paddle, I was just thinking, what if one does come up? Where's it going to come from? And it's constantly in your mind because, you know, out to sea 100K, the water changes out there. You you can't see your hand under the water. It's dark. It's quiet. It's If you stop and think too long, it's it's freaky. It sounds like at your worst then you were back to your times as a professional iron woman where you were thinking about things that hadn't happened yet. I'm not exactly. saying you were like that all the time. but Yeah, yeah. Like 100%. You fall, fall back into that. Yep. Oh, what if a shark comes up from our knee? What am yeah, I going to do? It's like, yeah. well, the shark's not coming up. But. Exactly. You, you've got to find a way and whether that is like putting like Jamie, one of the um, videographers, is a DJ and he, you know, gave me this awesome playlist of house music. Oh, I thought you had the decks out, <laughs> out in the catamaran. At times. I really wish he would. Hey, I said that to him. He so should have done that. He's like, oh, my God, it's been so good. <laughs> it's like the best concert ever. The best, like in the middle of the ocean. But like he did like made this playlist of house music and I literally like it went all day and just like listening to house music like in the flow zone paddling like that was when you're loosest and paddling the best yes and it's like for any athlete competing like finding that zone at training or when playing or racing like that's where the magic is and that's where my shoulders would be relaxed and I wouldn't be as sore at the end of the day it was the the pure fear that would often lock me up I guess and I probably would be sore uh when was the closest you came to stopping and imagine there'd be times where you almost stopped right Hundred percent. Um, the first time in WA, I remember. Western Australia um, treated you well. By Western the Australia, I know. <laughs> the first time, so there's another one coming. Um, yeah, around that time where um, I just had this week where I was incredibly low. Like I, I we crossed the Great Australian Bight, and that was amazing. But until we found that next support boat, we were kind of stuck because we were like the crocodiles are coming in broom. We can't jet ski up the crocodile. Like that is just ridiculous. You're just absolutely asking for something awful to happen. So until we found that next support boat, that was really a really low time. I don't know if I felt like quitting, but probably definitely felt low and I had to open up to my crew. And, you know, as an individual athlete, I didn't always do that as an Ironman either. And if I probably did that sooner, um, I would have benefited greatly and not have gotten glandular fever. But um in Queensland, so halfway across the Gulf of Carpentaria, um, the winds picked up to 35 knots and we had to actually bail out. So we had to bail across to Weeper. So the plan was to do that 800K across the Gulf. Um, I'm paddling into headwinds. 
three and a half days in and the skipper said the boat will not hold. We've got to get across to safety. The winds are continuing to pick up to 40 knots, which anyone who's been in winds before know, like that's extremely dangerous. You're out there in the ocean. No one's coming for help. Again, it's a couple of days away. Can you paddle into that? that you bit? can paddle in the end. I was going 3K an hour. Right. I, like honestly with the Compared wind, to what's normal. Normal 12, 13K an hour, right. yeah, with the tailwind. Just so like, just like flogging yourself, like absolutely like locking in with your fingers. It's incredibly painful. But anyway, we bailed across to Weeper and the skipper said, I'm, I'm not going back out there. And I was in the middle of Weeper, you know, it's not as remote as, say, Seisha further down, but it's a pretty remote place. Like there's not just catamarans getting around everywhere. And it was Southeastly trade winds. So we started asking the fishermen. None of the fishermen were going to go out in it. I said, that's ridiculous. Like, that's incredibly dangerous. We're not going pushing into headwinds at this time of year. It took me 10 days to convince the skipper to go back out there. And he said, all right, if I go back out there, you've got three days to get across. You're going to have to paddle faster and further than you've ever paddled. I was going to have to set a world record in that time to get across in that time. And I thought, I've paddled seven months. That seven months have prepared me for this. I said, let's do it. I had the most amazing team around me and I managed to set a world record and get across. And that's when I did 173K. I paddled for 24 hours straight. Um, by the end of 24 hours, I was rashed everywhere because your body being in salt water for that long, it's not good for it. My bottom lip was pretty much had completely peeled off. I, my hair was pretty much falling out by that stage, um, you know, because I couldn't get the nutrition in I needed from seasickness. But I did get across in the world record time and I did get across to Weeper and I did go on to get down the Queensland coast and set the world record. So it was that was probably a crucial moment in in the whole journey where I had a decision whether I was going to get back out there and um, and I chose to. And that was probably one of the hardest parts of the whole thing. How many world records did you break out there? You I know. Well, we've got, to, we've got to go through a few of them like – the each state that I did. So one of our crewmates says, you've got to submit for each state. And I'm like, I don't know if that's a thing, but um, the 24-hour record, the 48-hour record um, is being um, verified at the moment. Um, the fastest to paddle right, right around. Interestingly, the youngest isn't a record anymore. It used to be. Um, and Jess Watson's uh, world sail, I'm sailing around the world, she was the youngest, but they took that out of Guinness World Records because apparently more and more young, incredibly young kids were attempting all these crazy sort of feats. Right. So kids who were like 11 were going Eight. and doing like like things like that. So they actually in Guinness like took away like the youngest to do something. Wow, that's incredible. Record. I know, probably a good thing. To protect people. To protect people, yeah. yeah. So I found that out. Wow. Mm. That's okay. Definitely, like they're more the crew are more animated. Do you want me to look left or right for this one? Sorry, yeah. keep talking. This yeah. okay, yeah. awesome. Yeah, um, the crew are actually more animated than I am at the end of a record, like at the end of the 24 hours. So I'm so physically spent, as are they, because they've been watching the whole time. But they had like sparklers out and they're cheering. And I think the most I could manage was just like, thank you, <laughs> like you know, not much left at all. Um, and I remember at the end of when I did the 173K for the last hour, Jamie, one of my crewmates, was reading me trivia. And I remember crying in this trivia. I was answering the questions and 
I could barely get the answer out. I was in so much physical pain because for 24 hours of grinding, like your shoulders are just, I can't even explain. Um, and I remember just weeping and answering and he got me through that last hour by asking trivia and Sometimes when I was in so much pain, we went to that. We went to riddles, trivia. Um, they would tell me jokes, um, all sorts of things to keep my brain stimulated mm. and distracted from the incredible amount of pain. Uh, um, do, you, do you remember finishing? <laughs> like- I do remember finishing because <laughs> the best part about that was um, I got given so Sean Partners wanted to do a big like, Is that where we're up to? Is that where we're up to? The, I, I mean, feel I like mean, we come I- down the – Queensland Coast, you're breaking I know, records. I know. Well, I, I feel I've got to mention the amazing humpback whales as they headed back down the East Coast. So there was it was humpback whale um, mm. season as they're migrating up the north, um, up north up the coast. And I've got footage where I'm like in touching distance from these whales. Wow. It's like it's the coolest thing ever. And I haven't been able to post everything on social media, which is so hard to hold that stuff back. Because of the documentary? Because of the documentary. Mm. So our cinematographer's like, don't put everything up. I'm like, okay. Um, anyway, so – Coming back down, um, the 28th of August was set by Shore and Partners. They wanted to do a big celebration. So I pretty much had a deadline to get back. So the pressure was on because these headwinds were pumping. Um, but all I wanted was one day off. I wanted one day of pampering before I crossed that finish line. So we were actually sitting in the Gold Coast Seaway for two days prior to the finish. And we had to fully keep it on the down low. And the interviews I was doing, I wasn't allowed to say I was actually here. And I remember going and getting like a pedicure or something. It was Classic. the best. And the person was probably looking at my feet, like, because my feet were completely soft as well. So all that time in salt water, it's like I couldn't even walk on the road. It just hurt too much. Um, and again, it took a while to learn to walk again. But um, getting back, 28th of August, I had this one day off of just doing nothing, being at the Sheraton. I think I booked us in. And so the following day, I only had to paddle 10K because I paddled from the seaway to Northcliffe where we finished and it was just the coolest 10K of the whole thing just to look along the Gold, the Gold Coast buildings and be like, yeah, I've, I've paddled 13,000K to, to earn this view. Did you, have a, did you have people joining you on that? Uh- I did and when I say enjoying it, um, I actually again had a deadline to make the, sun, the sunrise, um, the morning um, they were doing like a weather, kind of the weather segments, <laughs> right? So I had to get in by eight. And I think Matt had gone, oh, yeah, it's um, it's only 8K. So I was like, oh, cool, like 8K paddling. I don't know. We go like, you know, certain pace, like six-minute pace or whatever per K. And anyway, we completely stuffed it up. So when I got halfway, I realized if I didn't sprint, I wasn't actually going to make the time frame. So the first half was like looking like, oh, my God, like it looks so beautiful, like the Q1. And then I looked at my time like, I'm not going to make it. And the PR lady like, whatever you do, you've got to be there on the beach at that time. So just hold your horses right. around. I mean, paddling exactly. exactly. I'll get there when I'm ready. So I had about 20 people join me. Amongst them was Elise Wood, who's an Olympian kayaker, and Lizzie Wellborn, who's a champion Ironwoman. I had to say to them, girls, you're going to have to give me some wash here to jump on. So they've all of a sudden formed this like V-wash for me and I'm like sprinting like back in the Ironwoman days get to the finish line. I had like two minutes come in and this whole beach was crowded with people. I thought, whatever you do, do not sl-. So slewing your ski is basically going so I was like, do not slew your ski. Did if you catch there's wave, one yeah. time I did, but oh, I pulled nice. off the first one and I'm like, if there's one time you hold a wave, it's gonna be right now. <laughs> so I did that and crossed the line and it was incredible. 
So, I mean, you know, this we've, we've chatted to some people on this pod, but I mean, journey-wise, there's a, there's a guy actually um, running around the world right now, Tim Franklin. Yeah. I've heard of Tim. Yeah. He's from Queensland. Mm-hmm. Um, he's mid mid run right now. He's running a marathon a day for 434 days. Oh, I can't fathom that. Yeah, he's in Chile right now. But Weapon. just speaking to you, I don't know why. I, I don't know. I just every, this is no disrespect to, respect to Tim, and you know Tim. Tim's a big fan of us, and we're a big fan of Tim. But everyone can kind of run, like you know, at some sort of pace. Not everyone can paddle a ski for one meter, let alone twelve thousand kilometers. Do you are you able to appreciate right now, sitting here in a hotel in the Gold Coast, or at home with your partner Matt? Like what, how big the achievement, what you've done, can you? Can, I think so. I, th- I think it's. It's pretty incredible. I think it's settled in. Thank you. And I think, you know, typical athlete, as I said, when I got back and pulled that globe out, was looking for the next thing. I remember Matt saying, just, it's okay. Just to <laughs> chill and actually absorb what you've done. Yeah. Because the whole time, this whole eight months, I kept saying, all I want to do is get home and go across and sit at the cafe and have poached eggs and read the paper and yes. just know I've finished it. Yeah. And I think I'm finally there now. I got back and I'm like, awesome. I'm like, I'm going to do this 24-hour thing and I did that. And I'm like, ooh, maybe I'll paddle from Australia to New Zealand. Like your mind thinks in this ridiculously big way. But I think now all of the lessons from the paddling are actually coming out. Like I'm, I'm doing different corporate speaking and speaking on growth mindset and resilience and I'm like, it's so fun to pull out the stories that resonate with people, how it resonates to the everyday person. And even though not everyone can paddle a ski, everyone can relate to maybe something they've wanted to do in their life and has been putting off. And I think just going for it, whatever that is for that person, if it's going traveling or if it's going and learning a language or whatever, something that you've wanted to do. And my thought was just, I don't want to get to be an old lady and, and have regrets. And that was for me, it was paddling around Australia. So do you come back now, do, do you think you've not changed but like grown? Like 100%. Just, that sounds silly but like yeah. do you come back onto land, you step back that you left eight and a half months ago and you're like you're a different person? You're just growth? What Definitely. is it? I, and I, I read a quote not long ago and it was saying just because you're getting older doesn't mean you're growing. And I was like that's the coolest quote mm. because – it's all about putting yourself into new situations, exposing yourself to new people, new places. And every single person I learned along the journey, I took something from them. I took a lesson from them. And same with every place, for better or worse, like those places where I almost got hypothermia, the bite, like, oh, my gosh, I'm still processing the bite and what that taught me, the beautiful coastline, like I picked something up. So it's almost like within that eight months so many learnings were compressed into that and I've recently written the book and that in itself was almost a healing process to be honest because there's things I like writing in that book how hard it was on a relationship like how lonely I felt and low I felt at different times like I think when in my professional Ironman career I never spoke to anyone about that stuff or recorded it even so now I'm just open and be like yeah there was some really heavy times but that's what made it too and that's why I'm so proud of this record. And I know one day it will most likely be taken and I'll be there to help that person every step of the way, even though I think it's good to be naive about a little bit of stuff, to be honest. Um, whoever it is that takes that journey on, I'm excited for them and what they're going to take out of it themselves. 
Um, really strong words. Just know that uh, right here, every day you're you're at least at eight, eight and a half months before someone can actually take it off you. So this is true. You, you don't. You're not going to lose it tomorrow ever. <laughs> I keep being like, I wonder where the challenge is going to come from. It'll come though. It, <laughs> we'll it will. It will come. We'll see. It will. Talk me through before we move away from the, uh, and we will finish up shortly. But uh, the cupcake reward system uh-huh. is that a, is that a thing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I would encourage this for anyone doing an ultra event. So I'm all about reward systems yes. and I'm all about breaking it down. So let's take the 234K I did, 24 hours of paddling. Like for me, I needed to break that down. I chose to break it into 10Ks. So every 10K I would do something. I would come into the boat and have a conversation with someone. I would change it to a song I really liked. I'm just laughing because I don't think it was Taylor, but I don't know. Um <laughs> I would, you know, just do something. And then at 50K, the day before I'd baked cupcakes and I did something I did throughout the paddle when I first attempted 213. So I kept it in when I attempted to better that record. Every 50K, I would come into the boat and the crew would give me a cupcake. It's vanilla cupcakes, greens is a brand if you want it. It's, they're, they're amazing. And out there salt water in your mouth all day, the sweet taste of the cupcake, it's like a direct contrast. Mm. And I would just absolutely save up that cupcake. It was ugly. I was paddling, trying to eat at the same time. But every 50K, I would grab a cupcake. So 50K, 100K, 150K, 200K. And when I finished that thing at 234, I ate the rest of the cupcakes. And I don't know how many that was. <laughs> I mean, two. Oh, my gosh. Um, Deserved it. Absolutely. I think so. But – yeah, a reward system and breaking it down and whatever that is that someone's doing, if it's breaking your work and going outside for five minutes and listening to a song or listening to a podcast. Like huh. for me, I've got to break it down. And you can't possibly look at 234K just as that. You've got to find a way to break it down for yourself. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect you to answer was going to be that. Yeah. That's what good. do you think the cupcake was I just saw you just scoffing yourself with cupcakes because <laughs> you really paddled like 12,000 kilometres. It was tempting to have more. <laughs> like I'd get to sort of 43, like is it time now? And it was great because my crew was strict on it too because I told them to be. So yes. you've got to get to that 50 before you can have the next one. They yes. got me there quicker. Um, I think that's it. I think that's the journey. Amazing. Pretty incredible. Yes. What you. are you doing with yourself now? I mean, you're not, yeah. not paddling. What's, I'm not what's life like for Bonnie Hancock right now? It's good. When I got back from the trip, um, I knew I had to, like, I had certain people who had done expeditions that said, don't come back to nothing. Like, make sure you actually have something to focus on next. Um, that's when Mermaid Beach reached out to me and asked if I want to coach the nippers. So I coached the nippers last year. I love it. I'm doing that again this season, right. um, which is so great. Connecting 11 to 14 year olds, keep you on your toes like that. Super cheeky. Um, and I started writing my book. So that's coming out in March, which I'm really excited about. Has it got a title yet? Oh, I can announce all that soon. Come Upcoming. I can't just yet. It's like I know it's almost – and every week I'm like I just want to like put the cover out. Okay, we'll keep our eyes Coming soon. Um, it's called Coming Soon. Coming soon, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's a working title. Um, and then the documentary as well is is being made. So we've got an amazing editor and producer um, doing that, Jack Lawrence. Um, Crazy. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah, so that they are the next projects I'm working towards and I really wanted to do this trip justice and most importantly – I wanted to share what I learned about myself mm. and how it took me 13,000 Ks to realise that the best part about this paddle was never a world record. What was it? Finding, I say, my happy place in the ocean that I love doing and appreciating the ocean for a place that's more than 
pushing myself and racing others. It was actually just being out there and being happy in myself. Yeah. Unreal. How good. That's one of the better podcasts we've ever done. Got to be honest, Daniel. Uh, thank you, Bonnie, for your thank time. Thank you so much. We're not, just, we're not done just yet. So part okay. of the podcast, the first question is what it is, and the back end, it's social media, not yep. social media, social. Yeah, So what we've done there? It's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where the people ask you the questions. You've heard enough from me. Dan's behind the cameras today. We've had some social media questions come in, mm-hmm. and they want to know the answers to these questions. Are you good to go? And Dan has one oh, too. okay. I mean, you've been, you must have been saving them up over there, Dan. <laughs> All right. Um, you don't get to start though, Daniel, unfortunately. Uh, Coporth underscore asked, where's the best beach in Australia you've ever seen? Oh, I gave it away before and saying Ningaloo. Now I feel like I've got mm. to think of another one. I must say as well, though, um, far north Queensland, anywhere up there, like I'm talking like past Cairns and onwards. Like Didn't know that was past Cairns. Yeah, well, <laughs> all that, let's sail around like Cape York area, right. like right. the very top, like pristine, untouched, the colour of the water I can't even describe. Wow. Yeah. Great. Daniel? Um, I was going to ask about after the break. So you're going into the, the boat or are you just – That is a very fair question. Um, yeah, so I would try to plan, like particularly 24 hours. Like that was stressful thinking about. I'm happy to say I never soiled myself is how I'm going to put it politely um, throughout. So the catamaran does have a toilet on it. Um, there may at one stage because the little pipe that goes into the ocean is literally the size of a 20 cent coin. There may have been an incident where I came on and might have blocked the toilet. But uh, in general, you can dive off your ski to do number ones and hop on the boat for number two. Just don't wait too long because that little pipe isn't very big. Oh, my God. That is hilarious. Thank you, Dan. Um, appreciate you taking us there. Uh, Indiana. Uh, Indy works with us, actually. This is Indy the Cyclist. Yep former soccer player, what's the number one quality you attribute to your success as an endurance athlete? Oh, that's You don't get good. lots. You just get one. Adaptability, 100% without a doubt. Hmm. As I said, it took me a while to get there, but adaptability to learn that what you think the day is going to look like can be totally different. And on a day where you think, I am flying 20K in, the next 50K are the worst kilometres of the whole trip. And, and vice versa, you can start the day feeling shocking and feel really good. You've just got to be adaptable and go with it and not have this fixed mindset. So it was a skill almost that I had to learn. Wow, good. Yeah. Great answer. Tub underscore nation, what's the most amount of wheat bix you've ever eaten in one city? <laughs> oh, my God, how many did Brett Lee do? I'm trying to think. I'd say more than that. Um, honestly, this is really embarrassing. Um, my sister Courtney, the same one that had the Zane Home signed Rashi on, we used to have competitions and how many because we actually used to believe what they said on the ads. So we're like, oh, my gosh, like that person eats 14 wheat bix Well, we've got to eat 15. Wow. I think we used to get around 12 and then, you know, that feeling like you're just completely bloated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're made just of wheat bix Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to say 12 because we believe the ads. It's better than me. Yeah. That's well done. Well, uh, and the last one, which is what we end every social media on these days, is Tappy underscore 87. How do you like your eggs cooked? Sincerely, the egg man. Oh, 100%. So, yeah, poached. Poached? poached yeah, sunny side up. Um, is that poached? Yeah, sunny side up. The, the, well, that's the, fried. Okay, no, that's fried. <laughs> okay, poached. Oh, when I said that, I thought as long as the, the, egg, the yolk is nice and runny. So, is it, so. so it's fried sunny side up? Yeah, it's not poached. fried sunny poached. side up or poached okay. as long as you've got the runniness on top. When I go across the cafe, I like them poached. On the barbecue, I go fried Yeah, you don't do them poached at home. You're not, you're not poaching it's your own eggs. It's just not the sorry. same. Do you poach your own eggs? No. But on the barbie, 
there you go, sunny side up on the Barbie. So it sort of depends. I'll pay it. Yeah. Um, mate, that was that was unreal. That is the uh, finish of the pod. Thank did you. you. Did you have fun? Absolutely. I did have so much fun. Thanks Good. for taking that, diving back into um, – yeah, we're going nice. to keep an eye on the book. We're going to keep an eye on the doco and everything you're doing. Uh, look, I'm going to say on Matt's behalf, please don't paddle around the globe. <laughs> like, seriously. I don't know if you'd let me. It'll take you a long time. I'll be going on my own, I think. Uh, you can find us on socials, backchat double underscore uh, or backchat underscore studios, depending on what's happening right now. Um, uh, <laughs> you can email us, hello at backchatpodcast.com.au. A big thank you to our VIPs, our patrons. We're going to have one more story from Bonnie behind the scenes for our VIPs in just a little bit. And a big thank you to our sponsors, Fleet Network, driving the podcast this year in 2023. Swimply. Oh, yeah, Swimply. Yeah, Swimply. Not Swimply is. We'll tell you in a little bit. Whippersnapper Whiskey, Margaret River Roasting Co., Blue Bet, Shelter Brewing Co., Leadable Cameras, uh, and uh, you can find all of that at backchatpodcast.com.au. Bonnie Hancock, thanks very much. Thank you.